Welcome to Identity, a series brought to you by ID Magazine. Join me, Mohoro Seward, ID's Senior Fashion Features Editor, as I explore the enduring legacy of some of the last four decades' most influential subcultures and the guiding figures within them. This season, we're taking a different tack, with each episode focusing on an artist whose life and work are anchored in subculture. Today, we're speaking to Liz Johnson Arter, a photographer known for her moving documentation of the lives of black people from across the African diaspora and the communities they live in since the early 90s. There's a rare nuance, poignancy and warmth to her photography, which typically sees her subjects, and often total strangers she feels drawn to for one reason or another, shot in the public spaces she discovers them in. It's hard to explain what I do. (laughs) It's also maybe because I don't really try to explain it. That's why I do what I do. I'm not a street photographer, you know, I don't go out trying to find candid moments. What I try to do is meet people. Suddenly I, you know, I had access to normality of black culture, you know, to go into a shop and it's run by a black person. It's something that I haven't experienced. For me, it was always connected with stories. You know, looking at someone's portrait, but hearing their story. Thank you so much for joining us on Identity. It's a real privilege to have you. I think it'd be great to go back to the beginning and just speaking about your very interesting life story, particularly your upbringing and your childhood. I understand that you moved around quite a bit. Could you give us a little bit of information about what it was like growing up for you? I suppose it's it's as as you do in life, you know. I was born in, in Bulgaria and uh, my mum decided to leave Bulgaria. So when I was around six, we managed to get to Germany and that's where, in West Germany, where I grew up. And um, yeah, I did my education. I started photography there and I decided I need to leave and go somewhere else and I came to the UK. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the journey, yeah. And I understand your mother was Russian and your father was Ghanaian, correct? Mm. I mean, what was it like growing up in West Germany in that time period as a person of colour? What was your experience like? I think the things that you notice, you notice, but you kind of live with them because that's what you have. And for me, growing up in Germany, I I got a good education. I'm quite grateful for that. It was something that was kind of available and I appreciate that. And I don't have hard feelings as such, you know. I think for me, my thing was much more a journey where once I started, particularly when I started taking photographs, it wasn't so much about getting rid of bad feelings, you know. It was much more about actually appreciating being able to meet people that I couldn't meet when I was younger. And I guess that's the journey that I'm on still. And what was it that really spurred your interest in meeting new people and sort of trying to get to know them in this sort of profound way that you do through your work? I guess it comes from a kind of upbringing where my mum was very instrumental in, you know, she was a people's person. And when we traveled, you know, she, she always connected to people. And I guess this thing of 
connecting to strangers, to connecting to the situation of being in a place and having to share space, having to share food. You know, these things are kind of something that I grew up with. And I think for me, people are a good way of finding things out. You know, I sometimes have questions and I guess people are my first reference. Could you tell us a little bit more then about how your particular interest in photography developed? You said that it was in Germany that you first started taking photographs. What was the sort of impetus for that? What was it that made you really want to pick up a camera and made it feel like the tool for you to be able to carry your mission, so to speak? Mm. I mean, I have, and I guess that comes again from my sort of upbringing, a lot of my family and uh, sort of stories about them, they were in a way captured in pictures. You know, there was pictures that my mum always took with her and I grew up with them. So photography for me had a presence. I never thought of myself as taking pictures, I guess because I wasn't really a technical person and I just didn't think it was for me. And I think what really got me into photography was actually when I understood that even if I'm not a technical person, if I like something, I can get into it. And photography was for me really the dark room. That's where I discovered the photography. You know, a friend of mine took me, we took some pictures and then he said, let's go and process the film. And I didn't know anything about that. So on that afternoon, I kind of discovered photography because I discovered a tool that I can make my own. I'm also quite interested in going back to something that you were saying about the photographs that you had around you was it your mother's photographs that mm. you said that she had? Yeah. Were there any particular photos in that, I guess, archival collection of images that you felt really affected by or that you kind of particularly cherished? There was a few photographs of me, my mum and my dad, which for me were very special because that's the only time I actually met him. And, you know, it was the only photograph I had in a visual way as a reference of him. So these photographs for me were on a personal level quite important. Yeah. But I think as a whole, you know, I, I just loved as a kid when my mum would pick up the box, start showing photographs and tell stories with it. So for me, it was always connected with stories, you know, looking at someone's portrait, but hearing their story. It was it was kind of exciting for me as a child. And I think when I started taking photographs, I kept that. I kept the idea that... There's a story behind a photograph, you know, there's a story behind the person that you see. And I think that still kind of resonates with me in my work. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's something that, as you say, is a really personal element of your work, that sense of tapping into someone's life story and sort of capturing a snapshot of it or a vignette of a moment or a distinct moment in that narrative. I mean, I don't want to claim the truth, you know. What I think I'd like to point out is that what I do has a lot to do with appreciation and also the fact that you don't just take, you have some kind of encounter with someone. And I think in those kind of moments, things can happen that, yeah, a picture can catch. And I guess I still look for that moment, yeah. I'd like to speak a bit about your early experiences in New York, which I understand were quite significant in I guess, setting you on the path that you've embarked on since. Am I correct in thinking that it was in the mid-80s that you first went to America? Yeah, I went in 85, 86. It's one of those. It was quite something for me because before that, I never really went to any place where there was a black community. So for me, coming to New York 
arriving in Brooklyn. And I stayed with Russians who immigrated to New York. So, you know, where I stayed was very much still Russian, but the streets were not. And I think for me, it's also where I, the first time had a camera with me. So I think the combination of being in a place and suddenly meeting people that I couldn't meet before, I think that kind of definitely started something in me, yeah. Just out of interest, whereabouts from Brooklyn was it? Oh, I wish I could tell you. It was an area where it was a mix of a black community on one side and Orthodox Jewish people on the other side. So it was, you know, it was that part of Brooklyn, but I couldn't tell you exactly which one. You know, I think for me, it was all like a movie anyway. You said that it was your first time being somewhere where there was a very kind of visible and present black community. Mm. I mean, what was that like for you? What did that invoke in you, I guess, coming from West Germany, where you said, yes, there were black people around you, but it wasn't necessarily the dominant demographic. What was it like being in a Mm. space Mm. where, you know, blackness wasn't necessarily seen as blackness, it was just the norm? Well, I think what it is, is you had a very selective thing. You know, like in in Germany, I think, you know, because I lived close to an American base, there were African-American soldiers that I saw. There was also other people, you know, there were African people who lived in Germany at the time. But it's nothing compared to when I go to Germany now, you know, there's much more of a mix in terms of the people that are represented there. But I think for me, yeah, it was actually a mix of kind of feeling like I was in a movie But I think what it was more was that suddenly I, you know, I had access to normality of black culture, you know, to go into a shop and it's run by a black person. You know, it's it's something that I haven't experienced, you know, it's to just be around a certain kind of normality. And I think it's still something, you know, the sort of everyday of life that still fascinates me because I guess I never had easy access to it before I got there. And I think that's still something that interests me, how people live, you know, how communities hold together, how they support each other. You know, all these things for me are very interesting because I didn't experience them. I guess that's still something that drives me. It'd be interesting to hear, like, what the particular nuances of that community were that you found so interesting or perhaps so new and exciting, perhaps. I suppose I was already in my mid-twenties when I got to New York, you know, so I had a certain kind of idea of myself. But I think it's it's never a bad thing to discover more. And I think for me, what I discovered was that there was a part of me, it's not so much about me, really. It's it's really just the the fact that I enjoyed meeting people, you know, that I could go up and, you know, if we talk about black communities, they come from all over the place. So it's also getting a sense of, well, we're actually everywhere. New York was an important thing, but, you know, I found things like this in places like Vienna. You know, these communities, they do come together and they they kind of support each other. And yeah, it's it's still a very exciting thing for me. Could you tell us perhaps about some of the early photographs that you took, some of the context that you're in, some of the people that you met? I think, you know, in in that way, I think I was very much like everyone who picks up a camera and thinks, I want to take pictures. And then you go out and you think, but how am I going to do that? You know, it's like, am I going to talk to people? You know, these are strangers. They're going to think I'm just taking their picture. And so I went through all these motions of how do I actually 
go up to people and take their picture. And I think this is part of the journey. You you have to learn to kind of react and to, to also read situations for what they are, you know. I mean, I do something that is usually in public spaces. I try not to hide. I try to be visible so that people see what I do. I think I've taken too many pictures to pin one down, you know, because, yeah, the podcast wouldn't be long enough. If I start with one, where do I stop? You know, but they're good moments, you know. I think one of the things for me, me, for my work, is that I like to show it because I think the people that I photograph are important. I think they, they're important to be seen. But I think it's something that, for me, you know, I have the moments as well when I took them. So, you know, it's kind of a double thing that I'm catching. Sometimes, you know, I just have my camera out. I remember being in Harare and walking walking through this township, trying to work out how could I take pictures. You know, and this guy calls me and says, well, take my picture. <laughs> and there you go. There was my picture, you know. And, you know, he he knew exactly how he wanted to look. And all I had to do is take it. I'm curious, though, over the years, have you developed a particular technique of approaching people or because I mean you must have become very skilled at kind of approaching strangers over the years more so than most but yeah like how do you sort of like try to approach what is a very very intimate encounter you have to engage you know and as I said you don't always have to talk but you have to engage in the sense that I don't want to hide to get my picture. I want people to to be present in my picture. And for that, I need to be present. So it's, it's um, technique is a difficult one because technique kind of implicates that somehow I worked out how to get the pictures. I'd never know how I get the picture. You know, I think that's the truth. It's, it's you know, I if there's a conversation, then I say what I do. And people can make up their minds. I used to take it very personal if people say no, you know, but actually I don't anymore, you know, maybe because I have already a lot of pictures, so I'm not as desperate as I used to be. But I think it's more that I I respect people not wanting to have their picture taken because personally I'm not a big sort of like, you know, it's not easy to photograph me, let's put it Mm -hmm. this way. You know, if someone doesn't feel comfortable, then it's not a situation where I push for a picture. So I think it's more that than a technique because, you know, I'm, I also like, like to make a point that I'm not a street photographer. You know, I don't go out trying to find candid moments. You know, I think what I try to do is meet people. And in that moment, which is a lot of times a very brief one, I, I want to focus on that. I don't want to pretend that, oh, I caught you in a moment. You know, I want you to be aware of the moment.
it would be great to talk about where we both are now, London, and your relationship to the city. When was it that you moved to London? Um, I think in 91. And what was it that drew you to the city? You know, it was really just a stopover for me. I mean, that's how I looked at life. I was actually on my way to New York and I couldn't because at the time I still had a Soviet passport. So it wasn't easy to just go to New York. So I came to London and I thought I'd stay here for a bit, make, you know, maybe do some work and some money and then go to New York. And yeah. I never left. And I thought it was grey. I thought the food was shit. You know, I wasn't excited about London. But somehow I started going to parties. I started to meet people. And I've, I like the vibe of London. And I think somehow that kept me. And circumstances, you know, sometimes it's just you have one plan, but it turns out to be another. So, yeah. Absolutely. That's me in London. Whereabouts in the city did you move to when you first arrived? My very first place was in Dulwich because I shared a place with a friend from Germany. And then I moved to East London for about a year or two. And then I moved to South London, to Peckham. And that was really, I've been, I mean, I would say I'm a South Londoner, South East Londoner. I've been in, in Peckham for over 20 years and I'm in Kennington now. So I'm a South Londoner, Yes. And could you paint us a bit of a picture of what South London was like back in the early to mid 90s? Because uh-huh. I mean, looking at it now, you wouldn't be able to. I think that that that's a place that's long gone. Yeah, it's, I mean, you wouldn't catch a cab to to Peckham, you know, in the mid 90s. No one would go to Peckham. Now Peckham is kind of changing into not sure what, but it still has a, a heartbeat. You know, I think. It's a funny thing because a lot of things have changed. And I think one of the things that has changed arriving now in London is is simply how difficult it is to just find a base. You know, it's, I think for younger generation, it's, yeah, it's an incredibly difficult place, I think. And I don't think if I would have arrived now, I could have done what I've done. It is interesting, but even for you, it must be very interesting looking back through your extremely extensive archive and tracing that through your work. I remember your exhibition at the South London Gallery really had that that sense of it. It was a sort of a chronicle of the history of a community in this particular area of London and Mm. a celebration of it, but also very sort of specific studies about the very sophisticated social changes that it's undergoing. Yeah, I mean, the thing about London that I always loved was that actually these sort of like uh, you know, let's call it rich, poor sort of div- divisions. They were actually next to each other. You know, it's, I mean, you, you have it still in part, you have estates that are next to, to houses that are actually quite expensive. You know, people seem to live next to each other, which I think makes for better living. But I think that this kind of thing is, is getting harder because it's harder for the generation that grew up in one place to actually stay in that place because you know, it's like if you grew up in South London, it's not easy to find a place to stay in South London now, you know. So it's, it's. I think South London or London in general is maybe like the rest of the world, but it's, it's a harder place to touch base. But at the same time, it's, a, it's still an exciting place for me. You know, I think there is still plenty of things going on. And I think I always would like to have a foot in London if you know what I mean. 
The next thing I want to discuss is something we sort of touched upon, um, which is, of course, the Black Balloon Archive, which is, I guess, your your magnum opus. I mean, first off, how would you introduce it to someone who's coming across it for the first time? Oh, you know, people ask me, what do you do? And I say, I take pictures. And then they ask, oh, what do you take pictures of? I'm like, people. And, uh, and then, you know, I kind of tried to stop there. What I do is not something that has a certain game plan or anything. When people ask me sometimes why I want their picture, I tell them that I put them in good company, you know. And for me, that's kind of like a way of saying that, yeah, I'm trying to create good company, you know. And I think the thing that everyone enjoys about good company is that you enjoy each other's company, that you respect each other. And I think those kind of elements are things that are important for me when I do my work. Yeah, then I say, I've been doing it for a long time. That's about it. You know, It's hard to explain what I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's also maybe because I don't really try to explain it. That's why I do what I do. Out of curiosity, if you had to put an estimate on how many images you have in your archive, what would the rough figure be? I wouldn't even know where to start. I have to say, because I shoot analogue, because... I also like to see my pictures. I go through a lot of pictures and I've never put a number on it simply because I don't like to put numbers on Mm. things. I still discover pictures because, you know, there was a time where I couldn't scan things in. So I find negatives from 20 years ago and I'm like, okay, let me see what's in there. There's still discovery in my archive for myself. But I don't think you can take pictures and count how many you have. I think that doesn't make sense. For me, it's not the quantity. It's very much about trying to keep a certain quality about my work. You know, it's not how many pictures I have, but whether these pictures actually are good enough to represent what I want to represent. You know, for me, it's also a thing where I I try to be quite democratic with my work. So, you know, there's pictures I'm more attracted to than others, but I think that as a whole, they have to speak. And as a whole, they can't have too many bad pictures. So I'm focusing on the quality of the pictures. Mm-hmm. And speaking of being attracted to certain images, I think for me, the images of yours that have always resonated with me the most are uh, your nightlife pictures taken in kind of black party mm. spaces. Yeah, what was it about nightlife as a general phenomenon that um, you were drawn to? Like, what were the first parties that you found yourself going to that really sort of got that itch going, I guess. Well, I, I think if you if you shoot around black communities, music is a big thing, you know, it's everywhere. The thing about the club pictures is that, for me, they're not so much club pictures. For me, it's a place where I can, you know, I can take portraits. I look at, at my club pictures much more as portraits than as, you know, as, as sort of like showing people having a good time. It's a place where I do find that... People feel free, and that's a good place for me to to get, to have a moment with them. So it's it's kind of like no different to me taking a picture in a club than taking it on the street, if the vibe is right. You know, I I don't really put those categories on anyway. I you know I mean it's it's in a, like when I show my work, I usually don't put the date or the place. You know, I think I'd like to eliminate anything that can be used as a reference because I think what I want people to do is to purely look at the picture 
and yes, you can see it's in a club, but maybe you can be, look beyond that at simply what the person represents in that moment. It'd be interesting though to hear a bit about your experience, particularly in London, for example. Like, what were the sort of nights, parties, clubs that you found yourself gravitating towards? I guess you know, one is is the music. You know, it's it's good to be in a club. You like the music, so I did a lot of club nights in the nineties, and I did a lot of work around pirate radio stations. I think for me, the thing is like the last three, four. Five years, really, I've been working a lot in in a club called PDA, and we're just compiling the book for it. And it's, I guess, in terms of club pictures, that was my, my most intense kind of time, because I really focused on, yeah, on the community around PDA. But again, I don't really look at them as club pictures. I think, you know, the idea to make the book is to to bring something else out. You know, I think, yeah, PDA was a club, but it brought a lot of things out. And that was something that obviously I think, you know, as being IND magazine, it's definitely like there's an overlap there. And PDA is a, a night that we've spoken about extensively, I think even on this podcast, actually. I mean, I think you're so right in that, yes, it was a club night, but its cultural resonance beyond the club space can't be denied. And mm-hmm. the people that were part of PDA during its, uh, when it was running, have gone on to become such sort of crucial cultural figureheads in their own right and for good reason. I mean, in your own words, could you tell us about PDA? What was it? What made it so special? What made it such a sort of seminal moment in London's nightlife and cultural history? I was very taken by PDA straight away, simply because of, I guess, the way, you know, Misha, who sort of started PDA, you know, the way she created a space for people to, yeah, I I don't know how to say it, but I've been in my time to quite a few clubs, but PDA for me had something that really felt like it's it's a family affair. You know, I don't know how else to say it. But I think also the fact that, you know, it was a place where people really supported each other. And yes, they also fell out with each other and da, 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 all these things. But I think, you know, there is there is a history in London of these sort of like places where people gather and it's it's a kind of particular moment. And I think for me, PDA was that. And, it, you know, the people, as you said, a lot of people went out and did whatever they did. I think for me, everyone in PDA was actually quite interesting, you know, because they all represented something. There weren't many, I mean, in the 90s, there was a few black queer nights, but I think there was nothing like PDA, you know. So I think it also opened up so much for the community, you know, for people to be able to go to place and feel safe. So, um, yeah, I could go on and on, but maybe you should just wait till the book comes out. The pictures will tell it all. <laughs> I can't wait for that. When is it When is it um, due to come out? Well, we're, we're on it now. So I think, you know, it's, it's a joint effort. Um, but yes, we definitely want to get it out this mm-hmm. year. Well, I imagine the process of compiling that must be so fascinating and sort of invoke a bit of a a nostalgia I guess um sort of looking at you know images of these people that as we were saying have now gone on to do these like amazing Mm. things um I mean what has that process been like for you what has it been like kind of seeing like these characters you know I'm still kind of in the process but it's an interesting one I think compiling it is good because it's it's good to do it with 
the PDA sort of group, you know, with Misha. Because when I started out, I didn't know anyone. You know, I just took pictures. I didn't know who was who. And only through time, I realized who was who. And, you know, with some I'm closer, with others, I just see them at, you know, at club nights. But it is a journey. It's, it's, it's a wonderful journey, I have to say. I do usually, out of most of my projects, I make books so that I have a reference. But I think the PDA book is, for me, something where it feels like I can also give back a little bit, you know, because people were so generous, you know. So it feels like it's a nice project to do so that everyone can have a bit of it. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. That's really, really exciting. And I'm sure we'll revive memories that I probably sort of relegated to the like, recesses of my own memory as well. <laughs> Um, we've spoken about you discussing your work and your practice and yourself as a, a documenter of people. Like, that's the real the yeah. kernel of your work. But I'd be interested, what's your relationship to the notion of subculture? I mean, do you consider yourself a documenter of subculture or do you think that's something that's perhaps sort of projected onto your work? Mm, I mean, I've never sort of used necessarily these terms simply because, yeah, they, they usually don't come from the places that they describe. You know, but for me, I think subculture is something that happens on the ground. And I definitely like to hang out on the ground. I like to find the things that I'm interested in on the ground. And I think they they happen less in institutions. They happen less in, in fixed places. So I think for me, if subculture represents things that have to move, things that have to adapt, if subculture means it's um, something that is not always safe, I think then then I definitely have a lot of that in my archive. But I think what it also represents is a lot of actually things that are very stable, but they you don't see them from outside. You know, I think, you know, PDA is a very good example of it it can seem like a, a club night, but I think it's also a network for people. It's it's a support network for uh helping each other, you know. So I think that part is something that is also part of subculture. You know, there's a lot of uh, actually support and a lot of appreciation. And I think in a way it's the better place to hang out you know, I still find. So, you know, I still keep my feet firmly on the ground. Amazing. We're close to the end of our wonderful conversation, but before we wrap up, I just have a couple quick fire questions. Um, I guess leading on from the conversation we were just having, could you tell us about your most memorable night out and why it remains that for you? Oh, my God, you know, you're asking someone who looks back on quite a lot of nights out. You know... I don't know if it's my best night out, but it was a night in London. There was a club in West London under the Westway. Um, I forgot what it was called. Uh, but do you know the band, or oh, they were like a hip-hop group, Bone Thugs and mm-hmm. Harmony? Yeah, and they were playing there. And um, I just went because someone told me they're playing there. I took my camera and, you know, a lot of stuff that I did, particularly in the 90s, I had to just black my way in. You know, it's like there was no guest list or anything like this. So um, I blacked my way in and I blacked my way all the way in to their dressing room. 
and I took pictures and they were very sweet guys. And uh, I had a great evening, you know, so maybe I'll I'll take that one. It was a good one. Yeah, that sounds like a really good one. Um, I guess my second one is, can you think of three objects or things that you think sort of really sum up your identity? Oh, my God. (laughs) My God, could you do that? (laughs) I think I could. Yeah. Do Do you want me to do mine? Go on, okay. yes. I want to have a bit of guidance here. I would say my iPhone, um, a Kiko Kostadinov coat and suitcase. Away suitcase, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, according to that, I would say, first of all, um, my bike. I've got three bikes, but the one that I'm riding at the moment is my favourite at the moment. Because that's my my idea of freedom. You know, when I'm on my bike, I'm free. I can go wherever I want and I don't have to pay for it. It's my idea of freedom. Um, I have to also say I have this dress that is a knitted dress that my mum knitted. My mum used to be quite a knitter. And as a child, I used to hate it because every time I said I want something she'd say oh yeah I can knit it for you and I'm like no I don't want it knitted but anyway when I grew older I started to appreciate that she's a good knitter so she knitted this dress for me and I would say that's a special one and the third would be um, that's a difficult one I think it has to be some sunglasses you know because somehow I I have a lot and they keep coming. <laughs> What's your go-to pair? Oh, I can show you. I have them right here. Oh, fab. They're my wraparound 60s. But because my head is very small, so I have to actually have a string around them. But this is, yeah, I guess something like this could be my third. Fantastic. Well, Liz, that takes us to the end of our chat. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time and also with your Memories and everything. It was a real pleasure. That's okay. Thanks for your interest. Of course. Thanks again to Liz for sharing her stories with us this week. And to the team who are instrumental in bringing identity to life. My co-host Osman Ahmed, researcher Ailey Duffy, producer Amelia Phillips, and audio production team Robin Lieberman and Simon Williams at Podmasters. Oh, and thanks to you for listening. Join us next week when Osman will be speaking to performance artist, musician and cult icon Cozy Fanny Tutti. 